0: what if i told you that being in the right place at the right time was not a circumstance of luck what if i told you it's a skill that you could learn and leverage to achieve your goals and dreams this is the right place right now podcast with travis fields and brandon johnson
1: today's episode features jesse cole Jesse is the founder of Fans First Entertainment and the owner of the Savannah Bananas, and the author of the book, Find Your Yellow Tux. Jesse believes that to be successful in business and in life, you need to stop standing still and start standing out. We talked today with Jesse about the importance of trying new things, how to reframe failure as a learning experience, and so much more. We hope you enjoy our conversation with the man in the yellow tux as much as we did.
0: Hey, Brandon here, and before we get started with today's episode, I want to ask you a favor. You see, this show thrives because of the direct support from our listeners. You can help us by providing a five-star review, leaving some love in the comments, or subscribing to make sure that you don't miss any future episodes. In doing so, you're not only supporting the show and promoting our growth, but even more importantly, you're providing direct support to our amazing guests, that way they can continue to share their stories and inspire others. Do us a quick favor. Take a moment to comment, review, and subscribe. We greatly appreciate you, and thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Right Place Right Now podcast. Jesse Cole, welcome, yes, sir. Yes, Thank yes, you for joining us today. We appreciate it. How are you?
2: Ah, uh, excited to be with you guys. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm number two, right? Number two.
0: Number two. Number we, two. That's a good we number. We came in hot. Typically, yes. people start out with like a cousin on the podcast. We came in with you.
2: definitely the cra. I'm definitely the craziest guest you've got I'll give you that
0: yeah well let's let's get right into that because for the people that will be listening to this not able to see it you're showing up in your patent yellow tux yellow top hat and this is a just a whole personality that you've developed you have your book find your yellow tux can you give us a little bit of that genesis did you come out of the womb in a yellow tux or is this something you adapted over time
2: no uh, yeah that would have been a nice look I think if I was a baby rocking a yellow tux that would have been great <laughs> but uh no this is 100% developed you know I was I was an only child just a baseball guy playing baseball and then uh, I got into the baseball industry uh, from the Front office because I tore everything on my shoulder that ended my baseball playing career so I went to the front office and I realized that there was a serious problem uh, with baseball no one was coming to games it was boring long slow for too many people and I had to try to attract people so what did I do I read every single book I could on P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney and people outside of the industry to figure out how they could promote and get people excited And I realized that we had to be dramatically different. So I started at our games having dancing players and grandma beauty pageants and salute to underwear nights and flatulence fun nights. And you tried it, I tried it. And after like five years, I was like, I can't be dressed up like everyone else. That's not who I am. I'm this showman crazy guy. You know, I can't be at a polo. So I I called one of my buddies who actually owned a bridal and formal shop. And he's like, I can get you a tuxedo. So I got me a black tuxedo with tails and a big top hat. And it was 101 degrees the first game and I almost melted in that black tuxedo. I was like, this is not gonna work. So I uh, searched online, find, uh, found brightcoloredtuxedos.com, uh, overnighted a yellow tuxedo, and wore it the next day at the game, and everyone was pictures and having fun, and it stuck. It became my uniform. So now I'm probably the only returning customer at brightcoloredtuxedos.com. I'll give them that. And um, <laughs> and um, uh, I own seven of these, and it's my uniform. And I, and I put it on at showtime. So I wear it all the time whenever I'm at our stadium, whenever I'm giving speeches, whenever I'm on podcasts, because this is, this is me amplified, and this is who I love to be. Talk
0: to us a little bit about that, because you said this was the P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney, the greatest showman and the happiest place on earth, right? You adapted this personification of this yellow tux to is it just to get attention i mean you're you basically just said this is my ringleader outfit for the circus is what i took from that is that fair
2: (laughs) well you know what pt barnum said no one ever made a difference by being like everyone else and i believe we weren't born to fit in we were born to stand out and so i think what holds people back is fear and you know when you go somewhere you want to try to fit in you want to try to feel comfortable but I think the greatest growth, the greatest uh, accomplishments comes when we get uncomfortable. And so this was uncomfortable. Believe me, it's like, oh, you, you seem so comfortable in this. Not the first time. People were like, <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? I mean, what before COVID, when I was traveling, speaking like crazy, I, I'd wear this in the airport because I'd be going right to a speech. I'd be getting picked up and then given a speech. And people would have their phones up and be like, this guy is a lunatic. I mean, not not just kids would be pointing, adults would be pointing. I mean, and every time I went through TSA, I I would get checked. You know, they literally checked me. I was like, you know, are you kidding me? Would I dress like this if I was going to do something crazy on the plane? Come on now. Uh, Finally, I got the TSA pre check so I don't have to go through that ritual anymore. But uh, the reality is is, – yeah i mean I, this is something that i believe everybody has within them they have something that makes them stand up it doesn't it's not it doesn't even be an outfit or attire or something but it's something genuinely unique that often we hold back because we're afraid of what people will think and so i want this to be able to give permission to everyone to be a little different to stand out and yes does it create attention a hundred percent but you know what if you really want to make a difference if you want to really get the hearts of the people that you're trying to move and make a difference you have to first get their eyes and their ears and so i believe if you want the hearts you have to first get the eyes and the ears and so yes we needed this the same thing i learned with the savannah bananas we had to get attention first before we succeed because we failed at first and i think so many people fail because they're afraid to stand out and that's why i try to embody this every single day
1: so how do you approach that with people when you talk about fear obviously you're a natural showman what do you, how do you approach it with somebody who's maybe not as outgoing and not as ready to get in front of people with that fear of failure or fear of being in front of people? Uh, I know your, 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 your biggest fear, you say in your book, is uh, settling. And I think like, it's easy to stand out or to want to stand out when you don't want to settle. Yeah. But when you yeah. want to fit in and, they're, and you're battling that, how do you approach that?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, at first, let's start like, you know, I'm not telling every introvert to go get out and start being crazy, That that's not for them. What it takes is it takes a lot of doing. You know, uh, Herb Kelleher was asked by a reporter in his first few years with Southwest Airlines. He goes, what's your business strategy, Herb? And he said, it's called doing things. That was his (laughs) entire business strategy. And the reality is most of us, we get so stuck doing the same thing over and over again. And that happens to get the same results. So if you're trying to find how do you stand out if you don't you know, feel comfortable, just start trying things, doing more things. And so what I realized that the best way to stand out is often to do things that give you energy. And so how do you create, how do you do that? Everyone says, oh, find your passion, find your passion. You don't know what your passion is until you start doing lots of things. What I challenge people to find their energy, find what gives them energy, create their energy list. So for instance, I started doing this, I mean, my first few years, Travis and Brandon, I mean. It was brutal. And I'm in the industry, 23 years old with a failed baseball team. I was cooking in the concession stands. I was selling ads. I was literally doing ops around the stadium, which I'm terrible at, trying to put up signage and fix things. I was doing so many things. At the end of the day, I was often exhausted. But the days that I wasn't exhausted were the days that I was in front of people, that I was promoting, that I was actually sharing what we're doing. Those were the days I was fired up, just like I am right now with you. So I realized that on my energy list is creating, sharing, and growing. When I'm creating things, coming up with video ideas, new ideas, promotion ideas, when I'm sharing on stage, on the field, on a mic, and when I'm growing, learning, listening, listening to podcasts, reading, I have energy. So for anybody, what I suggest is start doing an energy audit of your days. What are those things during a day that give you energy? And lean in on those because that's where you're going to be able to find that area that you really stand out on. And that's at the end of the day where you'll feel on top of the world and you'll want to do more. And that's what I've learned that it takes.
0: I love that and I would like to add to a little bit to that is you hit on like the introvert extrovert thing and I kind of by nature I'm super introverted but stuff like this fires me up. I love being on stage, I love performing, I love teaching workshops, but I do realize like after I'm done, I crash really yeah. hard. Yeah. But it fuels me and it excites me. It gets me moving to do things like you were saying. Is this who you are all the time or do you have that relapse of okay, I'm putting so much of myself into this. I can't just keep eating on stage. How do you refuel this and keep
2: it going? My wife will tell me, uh, uh, you're not a great husband after 8.30 or 9 because I'm asleep. <laughs> you know, I literally, yes, I, I crash at 8.30 or 9 um, and I wake up around 4, 4.30 and I have my own time. So, you know, for me, it is finding your own peace and balance. And so for me, I, I write every morning. I do a thank you letter every morning. I do write down 10 ideas every single morning. I listen to a podcast every morning. I run. I have a full, almost a two-hour ritual of my own time to get my, me set for the given day. And so often you think about we, uh, you know, we put out fires throughout the day. We're firefighters, all right? Even if I have a day where that happens, which hopefully there aren't many anymore, the first two hours, I've already won the day. And so how often do we just get up and we start going in social media, look at our email, start our news, do everything like that, and we're already putting off fires. So for me, my time is so important, those first two hours, and then the rest of the day, I've already won. So I really think how Elrod taught this in Miracle Morning, win the morning. You win the morning, get yourself in your own place, and you can find those times of when you need to be on and when you need to be off because you've already won.
0: So you're getting up every morning. You're going through this routine. Let's, I would like to bring this back because we haven't had a chance to really talk about your book and Savannah bananas a little bit. So, so you have this baseball team down in Savannah. It's kind of floundering when you get there. Tell us a little bit about that story and how you've developed it to be the only baseball team that's selling out. Even professional stadiums
2: aren't selling out. And this is low level baseball. Is that right? No, oh, it's the lowest. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, it's so funny. When we first came to Savannah, this was over five years ago in, uh, you know, October of 2015. And we were too afraid to tell people what level we were at. We were just like, oh, we're independent. We're independent. We weren't even like saying like, we're college summer baseball because we, you know, it was so low. We didn't want to get that impression. And, you know, what happened when we showed up in Savannah, it was myself, my wife, our, our 24-year-old president and three 22-year-olds. Uh, the former team was there uh and they were only getting a couple hundred fans coming to the games they were professional baseball you know Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Lou Gehrig they all played at the stadium there was professional baseball there for 90 years but it failed and so they left and so we came in and we were told you're the next team to fail we were literally given the keys and said good luck guys <laughs> and uh they were right they were right in the first uh in the first uh two you know three months we sold two total tickets And it was pretty much a donation. A gentleman just said, here you go, guys, that you need this. We're like, we do. But it wasn't enough. So on January 15th of 2016, I got the phone call that we overdrafted our account and we were completely out of money. And uh, it was at that point that Emily turned to me and she said, Jesse, we have to sell our house. So we sold our dream house. We emptied out our savings account and we were sleeping on an airbed in Savannah. This is just five years ago. And what we realized was the first five months we were in Savannah, we were trying to be like everyone else. We were marketing like everyone else. We were putting ads out like everyone else. and We were getting results like everyone else, except actually much worse. We knew, going back to the yellow tux and everything, we had to create attention for people to know who we are, what we stand for, and what makes us different. Didn't matter. We could be screaming on top of the long lungs, this is what we do, this is what we do, but if no one's listening, good luck. Right. We had to give them a reason to listen. And so that was the very, you know, it was very intentional why we chose not to be a generic baseball team name, not the Sailors, not the Spirits, not the Anchors, not the Savannah Ports, not all those terrible names that were suggested. <laughs> we chose to be the Savannah Bananas and the first team named after fruit. And it wasn't just, oh, we'll you just come up with a good name to be successful. No, no, no. We had a whole plan. You know, we were going to name our senior citizen dance team the Banana Nanas. You know, we were going to have our mascot named Split. We were gonna have a male cheerleading team called the Mananas, which are now just referred to as the dad bod cheerleading squad. You know, we, <laughs> we, we kept going through this. We were gonna do a music video to Justin Timberlake and call it Can't Stop the Peeling instead of Can't Stop the Feeling. Like we had all these ideas about going bananas and what that meant about being fun. So we put it out there, we created that attention. And uh, what happened was uh, a disaster. <laughs> But locally uh they said uh the owners should be thrown out of town you guys are embarrassment to this city you'll never sell a ticket everyone in the community was telling the newspaper said it was the most attention they received in over two decades and because in savannah and they said it was crazy and they kept coming over to cover us because people it was so polarizing so many people hated the name and there was a small percentage was like hey it's kind of fun but everyone was talking about us and right. then what happened they were like wait Every single ticket's all-inclusive. It includes all your burgers, your hot dogs, your chicken sandwiches, your soda, your water, your popcorn, your dessert for $15. Wait, wait, wait. The players do choreographed dances during the games? Wait, you guys have a breakdancing first base coach? You have a full 20-piece banana pep band? You guys have banana babies before the game where you put a baby in a banana costume and come to home plate, and all the players are on the ground with their hands up in the air going like this, and you play nah, Savinja as you lift the baby up to the crowd? What is going on? What is this place? I have to check it out. And then when we announced that first game sold out, people were like, whoa, this is for real. And then they came out and they started telling everybody and telling everyone and telling everyone. And from those two tickets now, as you mentioned, every single game is sold out and there's a wait list for still in the thousands for tickets, which I've never imagined. So it was that long progression that took us there. And there were so many lessons we learned along the way that have helped us uh, continue to evolve and innovate.
1: Let's go back to that moment in 2016 for a minute. I, I'm intrigued by what have to, has to happen behind the scenes for that kind of success to happen. We talk about that a lot on this podcast, and, and that's part of my story. I got told I, a lot of times when I first opened the brewery how lucky I was to open a brewery. And, you know, it's not, it's not a lucky moment. It takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of moments that don't feel so lucky. So you have just sold your house. You're sleeping in this crappy apartment on an airbed. What did that feel like? What was that moment like?
2: It's funny, you brought up luck too. I just, I thought back to my high school yearbook, you know, I used to put quotes and stuff. My quote was uh, JFK, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And so that was my quote, which is very ironic. Um, I probably have a lot of different quotes I'd have now, but that was the one I thought of back then. But uh, to go back to that moment, it was a burn the the boats moment. You know, you think about, you heard, you gotta burn the boats. That's, there's only one option. And everyone's like, well, how did you do it? There wasn't any other option. We went from zero debt to $1.8 million in debt. The only way we could get out of that is if we made this team successful. We had to do something big. We couldn't just give up. So we we sat there, and I, my wife and I, Emily, we just kept talking. We're like, we got to believe. We got to believe. Get attention. Get attention. Believe. Create. Go all in on fans first. Do what's right for the fans, and we'll win in the long term. You know, so many people focus on short-term profits. We were so focused on long-term fans. That's everything. We were long-term fans. So we just said, if we can just get them in the door, if we can get them in the door, we know that they'll have an experience they've never had anywhere else. And so – that moment, it was just, this is it. We have to sell our house. We have to go all in. We'll sleep on an air bit. We'll sacrifice what we have um, to make ends meet. And I look back in those moments. Those are the best. I wouldn't trade a thing. And everyone says that. But when you get to a point where you have to make that decision and you have nothing left, that's a point where you have to say, literally, that's the biggest learning moment you'll have. And so I look back at those and we had them this past season. I mean, you know, COVID, you know, live <laughs> entertainment venue trying to play during a pandemic. Good luck. But that's what made us all stronger. And our whole team, I mean, literally our president, who's 24 years old, still part of the team, our vice president, our fans first director, they've all part of that because we grew together during that moment. So it's hard to go back to exactly how I felt other than, you know, this is it. This is what we're going to do. And uh, you have to believe in it. And we believe more than anybody.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's the important thing right there is you have to believe in it and you you have to know that nobody's going to see this moment. Nobody's going to care about this moment. They're only going to care about when the the stadium sold out or they're going to care about grand opening. Like that's what people care about.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we, we weren't broadcasting that we had no money and then we were on an airbed then. After the fact, hey, this is the real story, if you guys want to know, but we were, to, hey, guys, uh, I know you want to buy tickets. We're failing. We're on an airbed. Can you please buy tickets? Like, no, we'll tell it after the fact, and then it becomes a better story. But I think of every single failure, every single challenge, what a great story. You know, some of our biggest failures are the best stories. So if you fail, just like laugh yourself, be like, this will be a good story when we're successful later. That's how I look at it. I mean, I want to know what in the brewery, what are the, what are the tough biggest challenges you had that actually like, I can't believe we did that. And now that you're still going, it's great. If it actually shut down the business, that's not a good story. Don't tell that one.
0: (laughs) So you talked a minute ago about like finding your energy, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're in this crappy apartment on this mattress, you're failing time and time again. how, How do you keep motivated and inspired? Because is that something that was just a part of you? Like, I know you're being pulled by this mission and you have no other option. You burn the boats. But the other option is to be like, nah, let's just write this off and go back and find a job. And you have a wife and uh, did you have a kid at that time? I'm not really sure. But there are all these other influences that people are like, I can't do this because there's too much involved. How do you stay the course in those moments? Purpose
2: it's so it's so it sounds so big and so deep but you know i mean for 10 years with our first team in gastonia we practiced all this we did all these crazy things the world's largest pillow fight we gave away colon cleansings and Porta johns we did all the wild things and amidst all the fun there were special moments and i'll never forget one of our first years and uh first seasons in gastonia um a young man 21 years old 21 years old who was you know everything in his high school, was the football star, was most popular, he ended up uh, going overseas and was killed defending our country at 21 years old. And it shook the tiny community of Gastonia pretty hard. And one of our interns came to me, who was very close with the family and the sister and said, Jesse, we gotta do something. And I said, "Uh, yeah, 100%, what do you think we should do? She's like, can we we honor the family and have a special event for Nick, the, the, the gentleman who died? And I said, of course. So we reached out to the family, brought the mother, the father, the sister, and the girlfriend, and the grandmother out to the game. And I remember it was 3,700 people at the small stadium in Gastonia, packed house. And we stopped the game in the first inning. We had two Marines come out with a jersey uh, with Nick's name on it and presented it to the mother and the father. And we had everyone standing in the stadium. It was almost 100 degrees, but I had goosebumps. And I saw you could hear a pin drop in the stadium. And I remember so vividly as we, uh, our announcer read this whole tribute to Nick and everything he did in this community and his role and, and a tribute to the family. And when it finished, it was a deafening applause. And the mother came off the field and I just had met her for the first time that night. And she gave me the biggest hug I could ever imagine and didn't let go. And I went into my office shortly after and just lost it emotionally. I was crying my eyes out. And uh, at that point, I knew exactly why we do what we do. And that whole community came together as one family to be together, to build something special, to be a part of something special. We were one. And so that moment kicked off numerous other stories that have happened, those same things. And I could share some from this piece, these and others that just makes us realize that we have a much bigger purpose than playing games and kilts and dancing players and all the wild things we do. We bring people together and bring so much joy, happiness, and fun that it is needed and that in that tough times, those challenges, that's what gives us energy to keep pushing on because it is needed. And I'll share one thing, the last game of the, the season uh, this past year during COVID, we played with zero positive cases. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, a season ticket holder came up to me with a tear coming down his face, big guy. He said, you guys, you guys saved my life. And I go, wait, wait, what are you talking about? He goes, I was in an extremely dark place during March, April, May, during COVID, I was in a dark, dark place. But when I found out you guys were playing and I came out to the first game and saw people still singing, dancing, and having fun, I was able to escape and have such a great time that every day I had something to look forward to with your games. You guys saved my life. And we share those stories over and over and over again with our team to realize that, yes, are we a wild, fun, crazy baseball team with a guy in a yellow tuxedo, you know, running the ship? Yes. But it's so much bigger than that. And that is what will always push us through. And that's when it's hard. That makes it interesting because we have a responsibility to our fans. And that's why we do what we do. You got me to go a little deep there, guys. Sorry, but I had you got me going.
0: So I'll share. We just had a close personal friend pass away earlier this week and you got me with that story. And like, I there's something special about what you're doing and offering people, especially in a time right now where there's a lot of people that are finding themselves just In a really rough place, of not sure what their direction is or where they're going or what the where the world is going in the next you know eighteen months, two years, whatever. So just thank you for what you do because to share those stories, I'm sure for every one of those you hear, there are hundreds you don't, and I just applaud that. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: I think you know it's it's everyone has their own stories, and I think a lot of times going back to standing out and being afraid, we're afraid to share those stories, whether they're emotional, whether they're deep, whether they're vulnerable, and I think you know most companies have a mission statement. They have a vision, you know, they have core beliefs, but how many have stories that back up who they are and what they stand for and how many share those stories, not just with their people, but with the public and stories is what really builds a company to who they are. And I think we as leaders, entrepreneurs, business owners, we need to share more stories and that would help connect more people with who we are and what we're trying to do.
1: There are so many good stories out there that don't get told.
2: Yeah. I mean, again, yeah. Well, I I can't remember who I heard this from, but like the most valuable piece of land is the graveyard because of all the wisdom and the ideas that were left there that were never put out to play.
0: Deep. I like that a lot. That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's right. You're right on with that. So I want to talk to you about, you have this culture now where you're selling out stadiums and you have this fans first environment where everybody's coming in. They're excited from the moment they buy a ticket, they're, they're pulled into this loop. It's not just you and your wife doing this, right? Like you have a staff of people that are bought into this. What is your relationship with your people to get them bought into this mission, bought into this vision? Because to deliver on something like this, they also have to show up with a lot of energy, right? So what is your role in keeping all that going?
2: 5,000%, and people wouldn't believe this. I'm actually, I live four and a half hours from Savannah. No one really knows that, and it's wild. I live, uh, I live in Charlotte uh, in the whole off season uh, with Emily, my two, two and a half year old, and her whole family's around here, and we're now foster parents, and we just got licensed uh, just the other day, and actually I have a new one with us right now, which is wild as we speak. But um, uh, this is in um, this is in Belmont, Belmont, North Carolina, so right outside of Charlotte. So. This took time. But what we realized that if you really want to build a company that endures, a company that's built to last, as Jim Collins says, you have to be able to empower your team to be able to make the right decisions and learn from them. You have to empower them to actually fail a little bit. And so when I was there and Emily was there, a lot of times people would look to me. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Because I've had the most experience and and the buck stops with me in some things. But because of our 24-year-old president, who's now almost 30, and our team that all started as interns has grown with us. You know, everybody on our staff started as an intern and they've grown with us three, four, five years. We have a team of 15 full time that are there year round. We have a a seasonal interns five to 10 in the fall and the spring, 150 part time. Our success is based on how good we are without me there. And the greatest leaders make the least amount of decisions. Reed, Reed Hastings taught me that with Netflix. So how can I make less decisions, but just share the stories and the vision over and over again? This is where we are going. Let's find a way to get there. I'm not going to be the one, I'm going to share the vision. And there's another great book, Rocket Fuel by Gino Wickman and Mark Winters. You have a visionary and you have an integrator. I am 5,000% the visionary. I read every Walt Disney and me are like, I would do anything to go play catch with Walt Disney on Main Street right now. If you could go back 50, 60 years ago, that's what I would want to do. We think big, we think where the future is going, we think about the impact, but then you need a team of integrators, people that can execute and make it happen and follow that vision. So that's what I do, I share the vision. I mean, literally on our website, on our About Us, we have our 2025 vision, where we are going. And we came up with that as a leadership team, but it was driven by some of my big thoughts. We came up with it and now we talk about it. And every Monday meeting, Jared, our president, has someone from our team read part of our vision. A full part, whether it's about our team, our product, our goals, what we're trying to do, and so we live it, we talk about it, we breathe it, and I'm not there. And that makes me so proud because we have a team that just cares so much about doing it right and creating fans' first moments every day. So you, at some point, you had
0: to realize that you were this, not the integrator, and you're the visionary. Was that always in you from the time you were a kid? Was that a lot of trial and error? Because one of the things you talked about is finding the things that give you energy. And I think sometimes we get in these careers or these paths where we, we just kind of fall into line and we're just, okay, we're given this role. So I'm going to fit into it and I'm going to make sure that I identify with it. And I actually take it on as my personality versus finding out who you are and then fitting everything into that piece. At what point did you realize, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing? I am a visionary.
2: <laughs> oh, geez. I, I'm still, uh, what is it? You haven't, uh, you've never arrived. You're always becoming. And you know that, that's uh, I think J.J. Reddick said that one, um, but which is uh, interesting. J.J. Reddick, the philosopher, um, but uh, you know, uh, the basketball guy. Yes, the shooter. J.J. Reddick, the shooter. You haven't arrived; you're always becoming, one, which I love. Uh, there's there's a lot of great quotes from brilliant philosophers like like Will Farrell who said, you know, keep throwing darts at the dartboard; you'll eventually hit the bullseye. So like you know, so some there's there's some guys out there you never thought. But no, it's 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 constantly becoming. So Brian, answer your question. Like I didn't like wake up one morning. It's like this is who i'm supposed to be like it is the biggest evolution started in 2015 when i started writing everything so i started writing everything and the thing is that it gives so much clarity when you can write and i had no idea that if i looked at my journal back in 2015 to be like what are you talking about but you got to start writing so i started writing started reading started listening started learning more and then started just practicing kind of this mindset and so the question we were asking is what how did you know basically between a visionary and an integrator elaborate a more because there was another point I wanted what were you saying
0: I, w- I was really just looking for maybe uh, some of those moments where you realize like I'm not the person that needs to be in the weeds of the details it doesn't fuel me I'm the person that needs to bring the vision the passion to the others and allow them to kind of build off of it and feed them with what I have to give
2: yeah well if you want a giant failure failure here is one and it's talked about the energy but here's a giant failure You know, that team in Gastonia I mentioned before, Mm -hmm. we built that team to be number four in the country in attendance. We were selling out games in the small community. We were dominant. It was a million dollar franchise that started with less than $100,000 in revenue. All right. It was failing. It was $268 in the bank account my first day. We built that into that. Then I went and focused all my time in Savannah as that was coming just bigger than we ever imagined. We sold the team in Gastonia and two years later, the team no longer exists. The city actually chose not to have them in the city anymore. They chose to have a new team. And we built that team into one of the most successful teams in the country, and that's what happened. If you're talking about a kick to the, that was it. Because I realized that I was a terrible leader, and I wasn't able to create um, the type of company I wanted to because it was driven too much by me driving the train and, and leading and not building enough leadership, assets, processes, systems, to make it still successful. And so, I realized that. And um, now, I don't ever want that to happen to Savannah. I wanna look back, my son Maverick, to be able to be having fun with the team, and when he's 30, taking his kids, when he's in his 60s, taking his grandkids. And to do that, I have to build a team, and build processes, and be able to let go. I heard this before, you can have control or you can have growth, but you can't have both at the same time. Great leaders have to let up control if they wanna grow and they have to be okay with 80% maybe of how well they would do it. And so I'm starting to say, hey, 80%, it's okay. Are they learning? Are we growing because of it? 80% because everything I learned in the first 50 years, 15 years was not 100%. It was so many 80% failures, but if we don't let our team do that 80% of what we would do, they'll never get to where we are. And that's what I'm trying to process every single day and let go more. That's,
1: that's timely. That's, that's exactly what I'm learning about myself right now with the brewery. I've tried to be the implementer for the last you know, few years and I'm yeah. not an implementer. I'm a visionary. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm having to now learn how to put people in the right places to do the things that don't make me excited. Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. Read, read Rocket Fuel. Have you heard of Rocket Fuel? I haven't. It, it, it literally, it, if you're originary like me, you'll be like, oh my God, this is me, this is me, this is me, this is me. And it's like, I need this, I need this, I need this. And it's that integrator because we implement, because we, we want to do it. But then we're not good at the details. We're not good at the follow through. We're not good at the process. We're good at the big idea.
1: Yeah. So what did that look like when you kind of had that revelation that, hey, I'm not the implementer. How did you switch those roles and get somebody who is an implementer in there? What did that look like?
2: Well, fortunately, our, our president, Jared, is that. He's very process-oriented. He's very system-oriented. So we've already had it in place, but we were failing left and right. He goes, Jesse, te- the teammates keep coming to you for answers. They're not going to me. The process is getting thrown up. All these questions, we were having friction. And so when I heard about the podcast and read the book, I said, Jared, let's, let's start having same-page meetings. And it's from the book. So we, we had our first one actually last, uh, last week, an hour and a half, same-page lunch. And we went through, I get to share the vision. He talks about the process. At the end of the hour and a half, Jared and I wrote, that was the best hour and a half we've had together in the last five years. Because we went through kind of our agendas together, talked about process. It was built with mutual respect. We talked about who's doing what. It was very clear. Hey, keep coming up with visions. But he was in fact, Jesse, what are some of those big ideas you're really thinking about right now? He never used to come to, it was me always coming to him with those. So he came to me and I came to him. Can you help the process? It was such a good back and forth. And that's how we built it. Finding it, there talks a lot about finding it. Luckily I found the perfect one. And now we're just going to have to get better at the process and systems and learn. So that's where we are now.
1: Well, I appreciate that insight. I'm going to take that and use it here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're still learning. We'll, We'll do it together. We'll go through it, my friend.
1: So we've, we've
0: talked about some of the fail, failures around the ballparks th- that you've had in different locations. Before you get into that, you know, you had this dream of becoming a professional baseball player. You tear your shoulder. That career kind of ends just all of a sudden for you. Take us through that finding yourself and rediscovery because for someone who has that vision from a young age and the talent that aligns with it and is going there, that's traumatic and that will set a lot of people back. Can you just give us some insight to what that moment is of like, I got to redefine who I am and what I'm doing.
2: I can't believe I'm going here. Um, I'm going to go here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to go here. Uh, if, if we've all been in a, a serious long relationship for a long time, they talk about rebounding. All right. And just getting back out there, going out on dates, getting back out there. And the more that we harp on it, that long lost love that we've had, it messes us. We start thinking we're not good enough. We're not confident enough. We struggle. And, you know, I had, you know, my first love, my high school, I was a mess for like months after. I was like, how could you do this to me? And like, I was like devastated. And then it wasn't until I started dating again that I got over it. Same thing when it comes to something big in business, get back out there, get your reps in, get your bats in. That's, that's what we did. So when I found out that I tore my shoulder, I had actually turn the camera on myself. I was filming a documentary film in college at that point. I was a character in a story about coaching leadership. I have that footage and I'm devastated. I mean, I'm this big, like, you know, I was like 50 pounds heavier. I actually looked like an athlete, not just a feeble guy in a in a yellow tuxedo. But I I I literally started getting emotional and I'm watching it like I'm falling apart. I was devastated. But then within a week, I was able to uh, uh, send out an email about an internship, and I took an internship with a failing team, and I started doing something else. I had something to wake up and get excited about, and realize that 20 years of my life that I had my whole passion, dream, doing was done. So how do you get back out there? And, you know, I always share in my keynotes, I talk about, um, you know, empowering action and getting more at-bats. There's one player in Major League history that has more at-bats, uh, that has more hits than anyone else, and it's Pete Rose. 4,192 hits. He also has 14,000 at bats. He has 2,000 more bats than anyone that ever played the game. Of course he has more hits. Of course he does. We have to go to bat more. We have to experiment more. Jeff Bezos said, our success at Amazon is a direct function of how many experiments we do per year, per month, per week, per day. Experiment more. Go to bat. Get your reps in quantity leads to quality. So you got to get out there. And that's why we're testing things every single day. And a lot of them will fail, but there will be one good thing. And that's how we find it. And that's why I was lucky to find my dream job because I started getting out there and going to bed.
1: Talk about fear of failure a little bit with me. I I think that's probably most people's biggest fear is failure. And you intentionally fail at you know, all the time, like you're throwing stuff out there and 90% of it's going to fail. How do you deal with the failures and get through to the successes? Well,
2: let's talk. I'm gonna go back to you guys. Well, fear of what, what is failure? What's failure?
1: Well, I mean, the, the obvious answer is the thing you're doing, not working out. Like it, you know, fear of failure for me is closing my
2: doors. Okay. That, that's a big failure, but the, 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 you know, that's a big, big failure. And there's a chance of that, but the regular failures, what do those look like? What are those?
0: I think for me, like if we're going to get into the philosophical and personal piece of this, it's the judgment of this didn't work out. Yes, Like I wasn't, I didn't bring enough to the table or there was something about me that's not good enough to make this happen.
2: So is the failure more of what people think or what you will think of yourself, both those versus necessarily being like a big failure that what's on Twitter, that's on social, like what, what, what is the failure?
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a good point. The failure is the lack of, confidence and you know doing it again like I fail then I become less confident in myself to try something new that's kind of the rabbit hole
2: (laughs) so so that's what I'm trying to go to when people ask that question and I uh, well what about fear of failure you have to understand define what is failure to you anyways and once you define what failure is to you you realize that you might not be that scared of it anyways or if you are scared of it then there's a much deeper problem and challenge that you need to work through than worried about trying new things that might fail Right. And so for us, I think the word failure should not be in our dictionary. Fail fast, fail more, fail often. And we talk about it, but failure, think about this. When you were in school, what color was an F? It was big red, Bright on your red. big red F on your, it was like the worst, all right? You were taught that failure is the worst. Don't get any Fs, don't get any Fs, don't get any Fs. That's ingrained in us, failure is the worst. It's a bad word. No one even looks at it, is it? We change it. I don't even, we don't even talk about failures. When People ask me, talk about your biggest failures. My mind is confused. I'm like, what are you talking about? In my mind, it's like, we've never failed, but we failed numerous times, but we don't even think about that. So change failure. We look at failure as discovery. What did you discover? So how many discoveries can you have this year? How many experiments can you have this year? We need to change the word failure, not have it in our common vernacular because it's, it's debilitating. If we say, hey, this could fail, does anyone want to do something that they're saying this could fail? But if someone saying, say, hey, we could do this and learn something pretty cool, that's a whole different mindset. Think about anybody in a lab, any scientist. Do you think they're going in, all right, what failure are we trying today? No. What hypothesis? What experiment? Mm. It's a completely different mindset. And they fail constantly. We got a vaccine now for COVID. Did they talk about all the failures they did the first six months, nine months? No. They were talking about what they were trying to do and where they were trying to go. So when you talk about fear of failure, I know I've dodged around the question, change the conversation, change the conversation. Let's not have the conversation about failure. Let's just say, how many experiments are we doing this year? What are we testing? What are we learning? That's, that's how we look at it. That's
1: what I was getting at is how do you approach, you know, it's not the failure. It's what you get from it. It's the lesson you learn from it. That's the answer. Answer
2: me this question. Answer this question. How many beers, different types of beers have you, you know, tried out since 2014? Oh, I know in
1: 2018, we did 87 different recipes.
2: 87 different recipes. This is what I love about breweries. And that's why eventually we're going to open a Savannah Bananas Brewery. What you do in the brewery business is built on experiments. It's built on trust. And I guarantee out of those 87, probably three tasted pretty poorly. All right. Maybe more. And I'm not going to say it because your eyes are pretty good. But it's like, this is not a good beer. Let's try another
1: one. Oh, there were more than three. All
2: right, good. Well, just, there, I was there, were,
1: there were good, you know, but they, and exactly, that's why we did that is because I wanted to explore my creative side. And we created this event called Test Tap Wednesday that it was a huge hit. And we had some that, you know, some beers people didn't like, but guess what? They came back next
2: week. Yeah, because what's next? What's that next at bad? And the reality is I wish every business looked at themselves as a brewery. What are we testing? Breweries are amazing. Not only the testing the different beers, but the creativity in the cans, the creativity in the names, the creativity that a brewery brings. There's a reason why they're successful. People want to try new things and breweries make new a way of life. Why don't all businesses do that? You're not thinking, hey, guys, what are we going to fail at this quarter? You're asking, what are we going to try this quarter?" What are we going to try this month? Different mindset. Every business should take it.
0: And I love this context in a business context, but personally for you, I know that I've tried a bunch of stuff that failed. I actually, my first public speech was a TEDx event in South Texas. It was my first time on stage with an audience filmed and it was horrible. It's embarrassing, but it's out there. It's in the ether. People can see it. I think my mom's watched it 12 times and that's the 13 views on it. One of them is mine, but for people that aren't willing to put themselves out there like that and try things and don't have that natural tendency to reframe failure or take on failure because it's exciting and new, how did they get out of that loop of that fear base and that unintentional effort of trying new things? Because a lot of people are just going through their emotions, right? And shifting that paradigm is really hard You can't just wake up and be like, okay, now I'm just going to, every time somebody talks about failure, I'm going to talk about opportunity instead. How do you get off the couch and change that mindset?
2: Well, let's not dodge over the fact of your uh, first time speaking was a TEDx talk. All right, we're not going to just skip over that right there. Uh, uh, here's, Here's what I love about that, Brandon. And I'll tell you, I just gained so much respect and admiration for you for sharing that. And here's why. If you're not embarrassed by the first product you put out, you waited too long. And you right now are saying how you are embarrassed. You you didn't wait too long. You didn't come up with, "Uh, I'll wait four years for my TEDx. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. You got out there and you did it. And because you did it, your next talk was better and you jumped yourself up to another level because you did it. Are you embarrassed by it? I'm sure you are. And I'll tell you, I am extremely embarrassed by the first products we put out. If people knew how we served all you can eat, The first night, opening night in Savannah, and we were trying to serve 4,000 people all-you-can-eat food, which has never been done. A whole stadium has never been all-you-can-eat ever. We were doing something no one's ever done. The first fans lined up around say they they were lined up. They waited two to three hours to get food. Talk about a terrible experience. One fan (laughs) one fan reached out to me. It was like "Um, Jesse, I heard it was a great great game and a lot of fun, but I got in line in the first inning. I wasn't able to see the game until the eighth inning. Oh man. What would most people do right there? They would say, go back to what we know. Yep. And what we said is, you know what? We failed miserably. We apologized. We said, what do we need to do to get better? So we said, all right, well, we went through 10,000 pieces of meat. All right, got to cook earlier. We're going to do this. All right, people are getting four burgers at a once. What if we put drinks first and they grab a drink with a hand so then they can't grab as many burgers and hot dogs? All right, so we moved that. We started moving and tinkering all these little things. And now people can get food at any time at the ballpark within five minutes ever, like always. Wow we got through the messiness and so my point is so anyone who's thinking like oh you know that's big i can't just change the mindset the reality is like think think back is this something you believe in is it something that you think can be better for your customers your fans is it worth getting through the messiness to get there i am obsessed and i have the book right here uh with walt disney as i shared i've read everything on him one of my favorite books i've ever read is disney's land and it was written about how he built walt disneyland July 17, 1955, they call it Black Sunday. That was the first day that, well, that Disney World, Disneyland opened. It was the biggest colossal failure of any opening event in history. I mean, the bathrooms were overflowing. They expected 10,000 people, 28,000 people broke, broke in. They got in there. They put the asphalt out the night before. So people's, women's heels were sticking to the asphalt. They couldn't even get out of the asphalt. Every single ride broke down. It, the stories are epic. People, the police said it was Black Sunday. It was the worst day. People called it a Disney's nightmare. Disney's dream became a Disney's nightmare. The, the press ripped them apart. It was worse. Then the next day they got better and they got better and they got better. And they invited the press out six months later and they got great reviews and great stories. Even Walt Disney, there wouldn't be Disneyland if he said, you know what, this failure, we can't do it anymore. Well, he got through the messiness to get to the next step. And I think we can learn from everyone, every great entrepreneur did the exact same thing, because if you're doing something that's never been done before, you don't know how to do it. (laughs) And so you have to be able to get through not knowing how to do it to get better at it.
0: I think that's true for just life, right? Like I've never lived this life before. I want to bring this back to that personal context. Like we hold ourselves to like, oh, I should know how to do this, how to navigate this relationship or this career path or this new adventure that you're taking on. And it's like, what makes you think you should just know how to do that? You can't just wake up and it just hits you and comes to you from the universe. Like you're going through this life for the first time. It's going to be messy. So buckle up.
2: Yeah. do, Do and then learn, you know, how much experience can you get this year? Can you get more experience than someone that would take five, 10 years? And then you'll be further ahead. So what test the experience, the experiments and the experience. So a lot of ease here, all right? But that's that's how we're trying to do it.
0: Yeah, one of the things that we, so Travis and I kind of where this started was we were doing some professional development workshops around having intentional experiences to try to find your purpose or your energy that gives you. And that's just something that we've always been really good at is like, just try new stuff. If somebody has an idea and they're like right on that cusp, what can you give them to push them to, you know what, I bought the ticket, I, I'm, I'm I'm all in?
2: What you're saying, what can, I, what can we do to make that happen?
0: Yeah, like what would you offer somebody who's like right on that ledge, they just need a little push?
2: I mean, when you realize that the, the, the failure isn't as bad as what people think it is, if you get over what people think, you start trying, you realize that it's small stuff in the scheme of things, you know, and you move on. You know, I mean, I mean, I learned this from my father. My father, he gave me the best advice when I was a kid. He used to always say when I came to Bad Jesse, swing hard in case you hit it. And I almost want to put that on a t-shirt. Swing hard in case you hit it, Kerry Cole. And as a five-year-old, I was swinging harder than any kid ever. I swung and missed a ton. But when I hit it, man, I was hitting the ball pretty far. And his, his mindset was always just, hey, go get after it. Try it. Get at, you know, see what happens. But go all in. Don't, don't mess around. You know, when you talk about bad things that happen, I mean, in 2013, my dad had, he had, he had two forms of cancer. And I was an only child. My father raised me. My mother had a drug problem. My dad did everything to take care of him. me. And my dad are like this. And when he found out he had two forms of cancer, it was scary. One, a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had a, a tumor the size of a pear outside of his liver. And he had to be pretty much in a hospital for months. And every day I would call him and uh, I would say, Dad, how are you doing? And he said, Jesse, I'm great. I'm great. Every single day. Said, what is going on? And then finally, like five months in, he said, I Dad, how are you doing? And he goes, I'm good. And I called my stepmom, I go, he said he was just good. He goes, Jesse, you have no idea what he went through over the last 12 hours. I've never seen someone so sick. He was getting the stem cell, the chemo at the highest level, and he was devastated, but he said he was good. The next day I called him, Dad, how are you? Uh, uh, Jesse, I'm great, I'm great. It's like, oh, all right, he's back to being great. A few months later, he was uh, out, uh, cancer-free, in remission, And the doctors at the hospital, Beth Israel Hospital, he's the most positive patient they've ever had. And they've never seen someone battle cancer the way he did. And my dad had a mindset the whole time. He goes, ah, it'll it'll be a challenging winter, but he goes, summer's gonna be great. How can you think like that as you're battling cancer every single day to think, you know what, it's just gonna be something small. I'm good for the summer. And that mindset, when I think about my dad battling that and still saying he was good when he was literally dying how can we really be afraid of all those other things out there and not just come up and swing hard in case we hit it and just start trying? A little perspective goes a long way. Huh? <laughs> That's why I always think my dad's the most positive. I mean, come on. I mean, yes, in, in fan, uh, just two months ago, we had a fans giving game. In, in, in our stadium. We got a giving, and we actually, uh, <laughs> we actually decided to starve our fans for the first 66 minutes in honor of the 66-day journey of the pilgrims, all right? One of the dumbest ideas you could ever think of. So we had, like, rations. Like, we would throw, like, bread in the, in the crowd and be like, you're a breadwinner, you're a breadwinner. And we threw out, like, candy corn because candy corn was obviously very big for the pilgrims back in the 1600s. So we're throwing out candy corn and doing all this. And then we had the feast, 66 minutes. And fans rushed to the concession stands. And it was a disaster, just like that first night five years ago. It was bad. The first uh, comment on our Facebook that night was, tonight was an absolute cluster. F-. I mean, it was, she ripped us apart. And then in the scheme of things, afterwards, people started saying, yeah, but we had a lot of fun. Now, one's talking about giving. They're asking when the next game is. That was a disaster. But it was something that was just so little in the scheme of things. And I think that's how we try to take the perspective of it. If, if it can worse than that, like, we'll we'll still be okay. I think that's that's the mindset we take.
0: And you actually used that, right? You have created like a is it a burnt chicken award that you give out? Like you've leveraged this failure as a as just a tool to get your people to move and grow and develop this business, right?
2: I'm impressed that you brought that up. I was like one post on LinkedIn like 2 months ago. Very well done. <laughs> yes, uh yes, yeah, burnt chicken story that we, someone posted over the summer all you can eat tickets aren't that good when the food is inedible and it was a picture of a piece of chicken that looked like a charcoal like overcooked burger it was black piece of chicken and I looked at that and I showed our operations team I go what is this they're like well we were cooking like this and then we had to overcook we do that and he looks at me and goes we'll never cook that way again and Jonathan who was an intern started actually, actually as a parking penguin Three years ago, he was a parking penguin, parking cars, dressed up as a penguin costume. Then he worked in our concession. Then he became our director of our operations. And he said, we'll never cook like that. So the next game, they changed our whole cooking style. So we're cooking fresh at every station. It was hard. It was messy. But that's how we cook. So what the bird chicken represents, hey, the way we used to do it before doesn't cut it anymore. What are we doing now? And so, so some things that are failures are the failure to try new things and the failure to adapt and the failure to explore new opportunities. And so we celebrate and Jonathan received the burnt chicken award for that, uh, that experience. Fail forward. Love it. So you guys
1: had a a season through COVID. You guys played baseball during COVID. What's coming up? What, what's, what's 2021 look like for the Savannah bananas?
2: For us, everything starts well with who we are and it's our goal to make baseball fun and change the game. And then all innovation starts, in my opinion, from a, how do you eliminate the friction? And so any type of business, any type of company, whatever you're in, eliminate the friction, the frustration points for your customers. So we've been battling that the game is long, slow, and boring for a long time, trying to make it more fun, more entertaining, nonstop promotions, but we still got a lot of work to do. Here's the reality. I look at baseball guys as like hot dog stand, right? go to a hot dog stand and, uh, you know, you've got the condiments and you got the hot dog. Right now, we are tremendous at the condiments. You know, the mustard, the relish, and the ketchup. Our promotions, our dance team, everything's so good. But the hot dog, baseball, still needs a lot of work. <laughs> baseball is still three hours too long, and it's just not a great hot dog. So we're, we're firing up so many good condiments that it's like, oh, this is a good experience. We need to get the hot dog better. And so to do that, we, are, we have uh, tried a new game out called Banana Ball. And we've tested it in front of our fans, and the reaction has been unbelievable. And so basically, it's a new game, new rules, two-hour time limit. Uh, you win every inning. Uh, you get a point. So every inning counts. So basically, there's a walk-off every inning, potentially. The home team scores another run, inning over, one point. All right? You can't bunt. If you bunt, you're thrown out of the game. No bunting. Bunting sucks. If fans catch a foul ball, it's an out. So we actually, fans bring their gloves. If they catch a foul ball, you're out of there. All right? So fans are involved in the game. You can steal first. Any pass ball and any count you can steal first. Uh, There's no stepping out of the batter's box. And in extra innings, instead of just playing more boring baseball, we do a penalty kick type situation. It's called a showdown. Pitcher versus hitter. No one else in the field. The hitter has to score. And so we developed this (laughs) brand new game. Yeah, it's wild. So we developed this brand new game and played it. And we said, we're going to take the show on the road. And we're gonna start playing year round. We're gonna make the game more fun and bring it to more people. So we question what is the challenge of the industry. It's too long, it's too slow, too boring. Teams are irrelevant for most of the year. We're gonna start playing year round like you just heard from fans We're taking the show on the road and we're playing banana ball. And I think, again, it all started with the friction points. If this is wrong in the industry, challenge the rules in your industry. If there's challenges in the way the brewery system is made, challenge them, go the other way. That's what Walt Disney, that's what P.T. Barnum did so well. So that's where we're going. We put it in our vision. We're telling everyone we're doing it and we're holding ourselves accountable to do it and we're going to do it. And it's going it's to, as we talked about, there'll be failures along the way. We won't talk about them. We'll talk about what's next until maybe in five years we'll say, that was a great failure and we were doing this. All right? <laughs> that's how we're going to get there. And so that's what we're excited to do.
1: So is the banana ball? Is that just in the off season, and then you'll have a normal season?
2: Yeah. So we we still have a collegiate team. So we still have our collegiate team, but we're going all in on this premier team because that's the next level with bat flips, WWE celebrations. I mean, just nonstop, over the top baseball being fun. And so yeah, you got that right. We're going. We're we're so inspired by WWE what they're doing. We're going to build characters, personalities that have special moves, special names, special traits, and they're going to be talented at baseball, but bring it to a whole other fun level so the younger audience will pay attention. We learned something important, guys. Another test, we started TikTok this spring. TikTok, all right, like, like you know, it's huge now. We are like, we're gonna get on there, but we're not gonna show much baseball. We're just gonna show our players having fun, dances, doing trends, promotions. Right now, we have more followers than every single major league baseball team. 375,000 followers or whatever. It's growing about 5,000 all the time. And that's what we have because we're not talking about the baseball. We're focusing on that younger audience. So that we're focused on our future fans. And so that's where we're going. Make the game more fun, more personality, more over-the-top craziness, more viral moments, and that's the future of the bananas.
0: How do you get your baseball players to buy into this? Because these guys are athletes, and if it's summer league baseball, a lot of them still have aspirations, right, to play baseball at different levels. And you got them dancing on the field, wearing kilts, doing these crazy TikTok videos. How do you get them to buy into this vision?
2: Oh, we failed at first. Oh, geez, it was bad. I remember the first time I brought a dance instructor to the players. And the first day before practice, I said, guys, before we practice, we're going to learn how to dance. I brought a dance instructor. And they were like, what? And like one guy was like, I'm not doing this. And he literally went to the bullpen and said, not doing it. Well, they tried to dance. And the first night they danced, it wasn't that good. The second night they danced, it was okay. By the third night, I'm walking through the grandstand. A husband and a wife are talking. And the the wife goes, shut up, honey. They're about to dance. And I was like, all right, we got something now. This is good. This is good. We got something. And so they started signing more autographs. They were more popular and they were getting all the credit. So that guy that went off to the bullpen, by halfway through the season, he came on the field, he ripped his belt off and he's doing jump on and throwing the belt over his head and he's dancing. He became a celebrity by the end of the year. And I found out a couple of years later, he was on a, male, he was on a billboard in LA. He's now a male model. So I feel like we got his start. I feel like we got his start. But my point is, it took those types of stories at first But now when they realize that these guys are treated like celebrities, they got the big crowd. After the games, people don't say, oh, great, double in the fourth inning. They talk about, oh, man, when you were on the dugout being the ring ring girl where you ripped off your shirt and you're holding up the ninth inning like a boxing girl and you're doing that and people are throwing dollar bills at you, you were so good at that when you were flexing. They talk about that stuff. And so you build up and recognize what you want to see. And the craziest thing is that over the last uh, five years, we've won more games than every single team in the league and we actually had a professor do a study that our players actually have better statistics than any other team when they play for the Bananas. Because simply, you have more fun, it's a better culture, it's a better atmosphere. So we share that now. So we don't attract those serious baseball players. We attract the guys that want to have fun, that want to have a memorable summer that they'll never forget. And so now it's very easy. The guys know when they come to the Bananas, they know what they're, it's about.
1: And That's a new twist on Moneyball, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> We're
2: going to have you dance and take your shirts off and you'll play better. Yeah, that's the, the new Moneyball. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie Basketball? Oh, geez. Yeah, way back in the day. There were were some interesting things in that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like they they kind of try to embrace the WD atmosphere. Like, this is only entertainment. We're not playing a sport. Which, in your industry, like, you're taking on an American tradition, right? So, I'm sure you've got these old white guys with their scorebooks that are just really upset with what you're doing to the
2: game of baseball. They don't come to our games anymore, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Here's the reality. Know who you are not for. We are not for the traditionalists and we'll lose a few season ticket holders every year. It says it's too much of a circus. I go, guys, we literally call ourselves a circus and a baseball game will break out. Like that's what you're signing up to, but we're not going after that audience. And we hope we can make more baseball fans by making the game more fun, not try to keep more baseball fans by keeping baseball the same. It's a different conversation.
0: That is a different conversation. And you just said something that's brilliant. And I think this is even for just people in general living their everyday life is know who you're not going for or just who you're not in general, who you don't need to surround yourself with. Like that is such an empowering moment for people to realize like, this is not what I'm trying to be. I can just remove myself from that and give myself to the stuff that I'm trying to be.
2: (laughs) I know know Travis read the book and granted everything's whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. That's our whole mindset. So knowing who you are not for is so key. We even interviewed all the people on our staff. Our teammates have said, who should not work for our company? So when you ask that opposite question, you get answers that can sometimes get you closer to the truth. So we're constantly asking those opposite questions. Don't ask who you're for, who you're not for. Ask who should not work for you. Ask you know That opposite question has really helped us in guiding us on being even more clear on who we are for. Hmm.
0: I'm going to take that one with me. So you're taking this new show on the road. You're reinventing this game. Are you, because you all did like a Thanksgiving game you were talking about. That wasn't in your field, right? That was somewhere else.
2: No, that was, uh, no, that was at, in Savannah. We're taking the show on the road to uh, Mobile, Alabama. We did a, uh, we're doing a one city world tour because again, whatever's normal do the exact opposite. So instead of saying, we're doing a big world tour. No, we're doing a one city world tour. And so we also create supply demand. And uh, it's, yeah, it's in March. And the wait list is already over 1500 people to come out and they, they've never seen us. Don't know who we are, they're just like, the bananas are coming to town and this sounds interesting. And so like, come on, see it. You have no idea what you're about to see.
0: <laughs> so are, are you getting other buy-in from teams in your, in your level or your league or even the next level that are coming to you? And like, is this a, a model that you can start to bring across a certain level of baseball and create an actually industry out of this?
2: <laughs> probably not uh i mean <laughs> i mean the reality is we've been doing it for years but still no one has a break dancing first base coach no one has you know a senior citizen dancing with a male cheerleading team no baseball team has a 20 piece pep band you know i mean we we have a, a grandma coach now that's in her, uh, in her 60s that delivers cookies uh, to the umpires and gives hugs. We have a, a luchador coach, a professional wrestler who teaches the players a haka before the game. And they're like, he's beating a out of the chest and like just going crazy. Um, it, it's, it's too wild for, for many. And that's okay. You know, I always ask, you know, how can you be the only in your industry? You know, everyone talks about, you know, I ask every business, what makes them different? What are they the only in? And if you can be the only, you have an opportunity to really stand out. And I think so often we're focused on the best practices in our industry. Well, let's focus on the next practices. And if you focus on the next practices, you'll focus on what you can be the only at. And that's what we're constantly asking. What can we be the only at? Sorry, I've thrown a lot at you guys. I uh, you, got, you got my energy going.
0: No, I love it. This is great. You bring so much energy. I, I, mean, I was watching like you on some other shows. And to watch the the people just kind of like get punched in the face by you when they turn on the
2: camera, I'm like, that guy hasn't figured out. I've been known. that people love when I punch them in the face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love it. So we were talking about, I want to bring this back because I don't know why I just had this. You're talking about the hot dog and the condiments and the yellow tux, you know? So I I went to like a business school that was literally, they were talking about when you graduate, you need to spend like $5,000 on your wardrobe and dress for the job that you want and fit this mold. Right. And, my generation and definitely generations younger have just that's the whole idea of college is even falling apart but much less like go and get this career and dress for that job the yellow tux feels like a condiment to me like i'm gonna call you a hot dog i hope that's not offensive yeah, by that's i'll take
2: that as a compliment actually
0: like you you put on this persona and and we've talked about how you align with that and everything, but what has that done for you and your confidence? Even like the whole fake it till you make it, there's a little bit of truth in that, but only if it aligns with who you are and your vision and where you're going. Yeah. So can you talk to that a little bit?
2: First, that business school that you went to that said you need to dress all to the nines, you should ask for your money back. Um, they,
0: I will say they are closing their doors at the end of this semester.
2: Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> I think you need to be who you are and, and literally own that. And the crazy is, well, you're not a yellow tuxedo guy. I'm like, you guys have talked to me the last hour. If I don't seem like the guy that would fit a yellow tuxedo with like the energy and the fun and the wildness and the craziness, like this is actually me. It's just amplify. You know, I've heard the fake it till you make it and all that stuff. I, I just think amplify who you are and, and actually really get to the root of that because a lot of times we think we want to be like everyone else. And so, like I said, those things that make you a little bit different, pump those up, put the, you know, put the gas on those things. And so what makes me crazy, you know, is this is, we're all in on fun. We're all in on craziness. We're all in on being different. And so I'm embodying that. So that's what I'm wearing. So I just think it really goes back to uh, owning, owning, and I mean, really owning who you are and what you stand for. And I would, I would challenge every, every business should write down what they believe in, you know, not just like. Uh, you know, we we make this product, we do the sales. What do you believe in? What are those truths, those beliefs that you believe in as a company? And then do the same thing as an individual. What do you believe in? Like, what do you think the more in? Like my whole, dr- I am driven to bring in more fun in the world. I believe we need it more, now more than ever. We need more fun, we need more joy. We need more people coming together and having fun. Where we get lost in a moment together. We're not so focused on what we have to do and on the internet and on, on our phone. Like. That's what I want to bring. So I try to live that with everything. So as a company, do you know what you believe in? And does that line with what you personally believe in the company and yourself, if you put those together, it's like full charge ahead. And so the beliefs has been very clear to me. Everything's about fun, joy, and bringing people together. Like that's everything I do and everything our company does.
0: And I think it's important, like, just because this is working for you. Like if you're watching this or listening to this, like don't jump onto those beliefs because I work for a company that they, they actually really hate those type of events in our facilitations and our trainings. They're, they're military. We have a lot of military clients, right? It doesn't fit and it's not who they are. And they're super successful in it. And, and there's always this pushback of like, well, you guys need to make this more entertaining. And they're like, no, dude, this isn't for you. Uh, back to that conversation. Like we're not looking for you as our customer or you to be in my relationship.
2: The only, the only one challenge I'll have to that is to understand what the definition of entertain is. The definition of entertain is to provide enjoyment or provide amusement. And I challenge that every single business is in the entertainment business because we all need to provide enjoyment and amusement. So when people think of like, oh, this doesn't need to be entertaining. Well, you need to also think of what's the definition of entertaining. We all need to be feel that we're getting enjoyment and amusement out of something. So that's just a different battle to that, but that's, I I believe everyone needs to be entertained in in some way.
1: I, I wanna just off the cuff, how would, you, how would you yellow tux a, a beer tapping? <laughs> Ooh,
2: how would you yellow tux it? I like that. Question. Wait, the actual beer tapping? What like, do you mean? Like,
1: like we, have, uh, we have two beers coming out tonight. Okay. How would you yellow tux that experience? I'm just curious. What, 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 what's your first- uh,
2: The framework we would first do is say, all right, what's, what are the normal things that are done in a beer tapping? So start going through some of them. What are some of the- Like what's a normal beer tapping? How does it go?
1: Uh, normally, you'll put the event up on Wednesday- People come at five o'clock on Friday and the beer goes on and then people start buying it.
2: Okay. So basically, so the, the normal way of announcing it. So go through the whole ritual. So the normal way of announcing a beer tapping is you put it on social media, right? Mm-hmm. On your website, you announce it. It has a name of the, the, the beer that's being tapped, correct? Yeah. All right. Then you hope people show up?
1: Yeah yeah i mean we yeah we push it just yeah that's that's the normal way we push it on social media we say hey this beer is coming out show up on friday
2: (laughs) all right and then and then and then what's the ritual that's done to tap the beer or like what happens
1: yeah well i i before covid i did a whole i used to play trivia before the tapping and we would give away either pints of it or, or six packs of it this is actually the first tapping we've had that we've been able to have people back in the tap room. Okay. So we're getting, in, we're, we're getting back to that. We're not going to do it on this one, but normally mm-hmm. I would, I would come in at five and say, Hey, you know, we're going to do some trivia and we would just do off the wall. I think we did like cat trivia one time and okay. just random, whatever I decide is going to be a funny subject to do trivia on.
2: Okay. And then so, and then people drink the beer and then what's happening during that. Uh,
1: a- after, after I do the announcement, we just start, You know, it's just like normal table service.
2: All right. So you just answered your question. So literally, you just went through the normal ritual of what it is. Write all those down and then have your team actually say, guys, what would be dramatically different about a tapping? What would be the opposite? What would be some ideas to take it over the top, to do a little, make it bigger, make it bigger than what it is. It's just a beer tapping. If it's just a beer tapping, it's not remarkable. So I would ask you right now and your team, hey, what makes this beer tapping remarkable? And then i would ask what's the definition of remarkable it's our people are going to remark about it so if you're leaving the only thing that they can remark about is is the beer good then you're you're leaving yourself very few options to get people talking so let me answer most baseball teams they hope their team wins right so they play a game and they hope their team wins if the team loses and they don't have a good experience no one's talking about it we don't focus on the wins and losses on the field because we want to make everything else remarkable that if the team does play terrible which they've made six errors in a game and they've had some bad games they're not talking about that. So let me say, if the beer's just good or average or good, what are people going home and saying, you wouldn't believe what they did at the beer tapping tonight? That's a different question. So I'm not gonna answer it for you because it's better if you and your team come up with it. But tonight, do your regular thing, but think of what will be the next time to create you wouldn't believe moments. You know, on how you announce it, on how you have a big celebration when it goes out. How is it given out? You know, what's the opposite normal? Everyone gets one? Or this beer tapping, one person is getting all four barrels. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, is there ways to make it so people talk? Like, I want to be the person that gets all the beer for the beer tapping. We do one beer tapping a year that only one person gets to drink it. That's the opposite thinking. There's a reason why we give out some games. We go out and give out 500 hot dogs to one fan and 500 buns to one other fan just to see what will happen. All right? That's why we gave 104 cranberry sauces to one fan during fansgiving. And she, was not, she didn't know what to do with it. So she just started giving out to people. You think the opposite. So that would be my challenge for you to get together as a team, have an idea palooza, which we do, and say, next beer tapping. Let's look at all the normal things. How do we create, you wouldn't believe, remarkable moments and think over the top? And then just test it one time. And it may fail, but it's gonna create a great learning experience that you're gonna do something different. This is pulling, this all full circle for us guys right here, all right? That, that is the opportunity to do everything we talked about at your next beer tapping. And my challenge, you, Travis, is what is it going to take for you to do it? What's what it's not going to take is you're gonna say, it's too much time, too much effort. We've got a ritual. Uh, our team doesn't want to do it. They're going to be scared of what happens. There's all these reasons on why you won't do it. My challenge to you is what will it take for you to do it? And then tell everyone what you did.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate that insight. That's the, the framework is actually what I was looking for. Like, how do you how do you uh, walk your mind through that and, and your team
2: through that? So my question to you is what will I actually get you to do on the next beer tapping to do an over the top release?
1: I uh, It's mostly just planning for me. Like I just have to take the time and make the effort to plan something that is going to be cool. And I often don't do that, but that that's kind of what we're working on in 2021 is how do we bring these ideas really full
2: swing into what we do. I would be so excited to hear of something you did and you tried and i bet you if you tried 10 different things a part of that beer tapping three people would be walking out and say that was awesome and two people be like that was ridiculous and you guys will laugh about it over and then all of a sudden you get a ritual now now you'll have people lined up outside for your beer tapping not just because it's a good beer or because they like you guys because what are they going to do next that's when you win that's when you really win yeah. You got me going. You got me going
0: here. <laughs> you know, cause that was one of the things, whenever we found out you were going to come on the show, Travis and I, have you, are you familiar with, um, Chip and Dan Heath's, the power of moments? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you embody what they're trying to preach there, right? Like you are the case study and Travis and I picked it up a couple years ago and we've been going back and forth and we were reengaged with that idea from you. And we're like, what are our touch points to really give our guests a better experience? Just to come to a podcast, right? And we're still trying to flush that out. You're number two, but that's kind of what our focus is because I know that if we can have this kind of energy from all of our guests that you're bringing to the table, and if we can embed something to get them hyped to come, then our listeners will get the benefits of that, right? And so, what are those touch points and those moments?
2: Well, let me jump on that. Uh, as I told Travis, and I posted this on my LinkedIn about you guys. I mean, literally. I've been on probably 500 podcasts. That just says there's way too many podcasts out there because they need a guest, but I've been on hundreds of podcasts and you guys were the first time to send a video to me in advance asking me to be on the show and not just asking me to be on the show, talking about the book, the influence, what I've done, actually building me up and saying, hey, I don't just see this shiny object, let's put him as a guest. You've actually made an impact. And so it was a completely different ask. There's no way I would ever say no to that. So you started with a great first moment. I I have my own podcast business done differently. You better believe I send out thank you notes. I send out videos. I often do all that without even asking for them to be on my show. first. I build up a thank you report and gratefulness and gratitude and share what they're doing. And then I may have an ask later on. So it's playing the long game. But yeah, what are all those touch points? And then, you know, I've been on 500 podcasts and I I would say, you know, a thank you afterwards is such a great point. I'm not telling you guys to do this, but I'm saying as you look at future guests, look at what are all those extra points that you can do that makes them say, This was different than other any others. Here's the reality, guys. I've been on over an hour. This is one of the longest I've I've been on, and I don't feel like I need to get off because you guys have already shown uh, the value uh, to me, and I want to give everything I can to you. That's the same mindset. How can you give extra value to the guests and play that long game?
0: Yeah, and that is something that we want to bring into this because you have so much to offer, and we think that if we can just share your story and get you engaged with more listeners, the benefits will naturally happen. Like maybe we don't have something to offer that gets people inspired or motivated or brings joy and entertainment into life, but you do and our other guests do. And those are the things that we want to capture and
2: provide to them. Just another Avenue. Give without wanting anything in return. And I think that's, you know, on the back of our fans first playbook that we have, we share their staff it says be patient in what you want for yourself, but be impatient in how much you give to others. You guys are doing that. And here's the reality, guys. This is your second podcast. You may have 11 listeners or you may have 11,000. And it doesn't really matter. You guys have already given so much that that's the key. And I want to give even more to whoever listens. And if you have that mindset always, you will always, always win. And I think that's, so many people are like, oh, I'll do this if I can get this out of it. Or people ask me, you know, what do you want to promote at the end of the podcast? I'm like, I'm not here to promote it. I'm hopefully here to provide value. And then in the long run, hopefully it'll win for them. And that's a big win. Just, yeah, that's, that's what's really helped us in our, our mindset and being, you know, more giving focused and fans first focused.
1: Beautiful.
0: That might be a good place, Travis, unless you have something else.
1: I think that's a good place to wrap up.
0: (laughs) I mean, you you brought it today. We greatly appreciate it. We do want to promote you because again, you have such a great message and story to share. So where can people find you? What can we do to make sure that people can get on your wait list? Because that's what it's going to take to get to a Savannah Bananas game. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, very easy. You search Savannah Bands, you search Yellow Talks. You don't even need to search my name. You search Yellow Talks, you'll find me up. Uh, but yeah, I, I learned from the uh, same thing about giving without asking for any return. I am not. I don't need anything in return for you guys. You guys have given me so much. Um, and I learned from uh, Mark Cuban when I was 25 years old. I read his book and uh, sent him an email. Within an hour, Mark responded to me. And I was blown away. I was like Mark Cuban in the middle of Dallas Mavericks and everything else he's doing shark tank. He responded to me. And so I've learned that. So if anybody, uh, any of your listeners have any questions, fall off any way I can help, I will respond just like I did to you guys, because, uh, it's, uh, I think it's the right way to do things. And just, just like you, you guys are living by, I think do things the right way and uh, it works out at the end.
1: Awesome. Well, Jesse, Thank you for coming. Uh, I have enjoyed this conversation immensely
2: and uh, look forward to connecting to you again sometime. I look forward to hearing about your next, uh, you know, your tap release. I want to know, I want to know what happens, my friend. Put that pressure on him. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys. Thanks, Jesse.